Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hi, I'm Clotho. You can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter, and I'm joined tonight with Lot. Hi, I'm Lot, the Lady of Tarth on Twitter. And Chicky. Hi, I am Chicky. I am at the Chickren on Twitter. Okay, we're doing our re-re-read, and we're going to be discussing Brienne's fifth chapter in A Feast for Crows. Um, as usual, trigger warnings for rape and violence, as well as spoilers. Um we're just going to jump right in. Um, so Hiles insisting that they take the heads of Timian, Pig, and Shagwell back to Tarly to decorate his walls. When they return with them, Tarly offers to send her back to Tarth now that she's had her taste of blood. Um, he pretty much, he's just trashing her the whole time. He's, um, you know, he pretty much flat out says, okay, it's the sword. You know, he's like saying it's the sword, the, you know, the Valyrian steel sword that's the responsible for her easy kills and, you know, kind of discounting yeah. her. Which I is- love how Kyle <laughs> saw her fight and he's like, he's like, she's fucking amazing. Yes, that was awesome. <laughs> and Randall's like, no. <laughs> he totally sticks up for her. I love that too. And, uh, you know, he's... he's- you know, <laughs> okay. I was going to say, like, I, I know, like, the, the last time we read, we podcast about this chapter i was like yeah he's in love with her like he loves you know he loves watching her fight and was so impressed with her but then i got to thinking about it today he totally sat back and watched her like take on three men solo oh, yeah. with like no assistance like oh, fuck yeah. you heil i've like <laughs> that soured is true. that is true because he didn't come oh, in yeah. very to the money shit that's true yeah which means he he was sitting there watching the whole time that Shagwell was burying a nimble dick. I just eating an apple or something. Like <laughs> I just see him like, lounging about. I know. I could totally picture it. That's kind of funny, actually. Now. <laughs> oh gosh. So he's you know so he's there watching this whole thing, and um, we get sort of filled in about uh tarly's giving us sort of these wild rumors and you know she's asking well what about this what about? he's like well if you believe the rumors it's either 20 or 200 men you know the brother brotherhood without banners and mm-hmm. um clogane hanging around with them and you know he uh <laughs> he's just not kind of having it he's like okay this is not gonna work and he he sends her away he tells her not to return he pretty much threatens her he's like you know as long as i'm rolling maiden pool don't come back um Hyle tells her to meet him at the Stinking Goose the next day. Um, he's willing to speak to his cousin Alan. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. He's making some effort here. Um, who was one of the men hunting who was sent out to hunt the Hound? Uh, you know, Brienne and Pod. There's this sort of long. It's kind of interesting. You know, they're going around the town. They can't find any rooms for the night. So Pod suggests they you know head to the docks to maybe bunk up on a ship and. You know, we get these <laughs> this experience of going sort of from ship to ship, and some people think, you know, oh, you don't need a horse around here, and you know, all these little commentaries, and they finally find an em- empty cabin in the Lady of Mirror, um, and she pretty much just has nightmares, you know, of, Sh- of Shagwell, Timmy, and Pig, and Randall Tarley, all you know, they're sort of haunting her during the night. So let me back you up a minute here, Clotho, because uh, one of these ships 
Arya is probably on. Oh, um, the, <laughs> whatever the one is with the Titan oh, name. It's heading out. Yes. Is that's that what she, she took to Bravos. Oh. So, um, yeah, there's there's a pretty good theory that Arya is actually on one of these ships. Because I think people don't maybe know um, the timelines for George's POV chapters don't always completely match up. So while Arya is already in Bravos at this point in the book to us, Brienne's like behind in the timeline. Oh, so. Right. And why I like take all the time to name all these damn ships if there's not something important about it, right? Where she thinks like you know, oh she she thinks oh this ship is already left. Like that's interesting too that she actually thought about that ship one more time. If that was the yeah, I think it was leaving. Yeah, Yeah, right as she. Brienne eats breakfast at the Stinking Goose, and we get this sort of, (laughs) it's very (laughs) vivid of the gross food. And you know, it's interesting because the um. The person she's talking to, the the lady here is, you know, now how we talked about in the last episode that, you know, Shaglet's sort of done, she pretty much says, did he rape you? Did he do that? You know, she's listing off like, sorry, not Shaglet, why am I saying Shaglet? Um, Crab. Nimbledick. Nimbledick, yeah, yeah. Nimbledick, not Shaglet. Even before Brienne says it. So obviously there was reason for other people around town to suspect, you know, it wasn't just Brienne being paranoid. There's, no, and she knew he, that when yeah. she first yeah. met up with him, because this lady kind of told her, like, it was pretty clear that, you know, Dick is a little unsavory. At the same time, you know, Dick didn't really do anything yeah, bad to Brienne. He I know. didn't hurt her at all. <laughs> so I know it's just it's sort of it, what people think about people and the impression other people have. Yeah. You know what I love though? Like Kyle won me back a little bit here again. <laughs> He comes in there and he sees them like with their breakfast plates and he's like, "Oh God, I hope you didn't eat here." Yeah, I know. I was <laughs> like, I was thinking, I want to hear where the good places are in town. I thought like, oh, where are the good places to eat? Is he gonna take her to some hipster joint? You know, like what would be considered? <laughs> oh God, Gourmet. date with Hyle. Date night with Hyle. <laughs> like I kind of want to go. <laughs> I know. I wanted to hear that. It's like, why didn't George give it to us? Like, I want to hear about that mm. long, lengthy descriptions of food <laughs> that other joints had made before. <laughs> so, um, oh, gosh. Um, he arrives and he gives her news from Alan that Clegane was last seen in the salt pans the day of the raids. Um, afterward, they were riding west along the Trident. Um, he suspects that they were, you know, looking for a ship in the salt pans and and he, you know, sort of says Alan was certain that he was not, you know, still with the Dundarian's men. And we get Lady Stoneheart. You know, we get this rumored um, to be Lord Barrack's lover that was killed by the phrase and kissed back to life. Everybody's always man. making Catelyn somebody's lover, <laughs> like all the time. <laughs> she's trying to make her like the hottie, you know, even when she's dead. Like, <laughs> she's even dead. I'm fatal. <laughs> My zombie lover. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but I, it's so funny that it's so it's kind of right you know it was like the fray you know what i mean it, there's a lot that's true in that you know aside from the lover part but <laughs> yeah well that well, way, no. <laughs> i love how jamie and brianne are both getting like different tidbits about all these people so like when you're reading the book and you're kind of getting getting it all together it's like interesting yeah yeah um he tells her that septon maribold um, is traveling through and departing to uh, you know for the salt pans tomorrow, and he suggests they go with him. You know, and, and you know, Hal doesn't really have some bad ideas. He's got some kind of. I think his ideas are kind of good. You know, he's not. It sounds like he's making legitimate, like okay, this could work kind of suggestions. And uh, Brienne's surprised that Hyle wants to go too, and she's like, "You're not." Uh, she's still suspicious. You know that he's sort of working for Tarly and told him to follow her. And Tile, um, Hyle reveals that Tarly told him. 
he didn't have need of him or his insolence and that he's going to be you know he's like okay i'm gonna be a hedge tonight now i'm done with it and um well what really <laughs> happened between the lines here is that <laughs> randall tarley said something about brienne uh we we trigger warned for rape, right? It got yeah. any yeah. any chapter that features Randall Tarley should just automatically oh. get a rape trigger warning. Um anyway, yes. So Randall Tarley basically says that Brienne could use with a good raping, yes. despite the fact that he's famous for like killing or like gelding. sending rapists to the wall or gelding them. But um he says this and apparently Heil uh, did not react well to hearing that and uh, from what we can tell, stuck up for Brienne. I mean, this is, of course, from Hal's perspective. Clam pointed that out to me. She's like, well, it's Hal <laughs> saying it, but I, I think it's true. Um, and um, anyway, so uh, Hal gets fired. Randall Tarley fires Hal for sticking up for Brienne. And so he he's a hedge knight now is basically what happened. And this is why I personally can't hate Hal completely because yeah. he does stick up for her. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He just, he's like, he makes, like, he just does something so uh, completely disdainful, but then he's really funny at times. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> you make me laugh. I'm probably going to halfway like you all the time. <laughs> oh, and he pretty much, he tells her she's, he's going with Maribald. So she, and he's like, well, you know, because he knows he got, he's, he's got her, you know, what choice have He's kind of weather pot or you, you go along with us, you know, along with us or not, I don't care. And then, of course, next morning, the sun is rising, and they're all there. <laughs> and um, we sort of get a little bit of description about Maribold. He's kind of this, um, he's a septum without a sept, kind of wandering, six feet tall, shock of thick gray hair and a windburnt face. And, you know, she mentions he has, like, the hugest feet that she's ever seen. And there, I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out what medically could have happened. Like, he, he makes this sort of comment about the cobbler in the sky gave him these feet. But basically, he just kept walking until they're, like, they're black on the bottom. Like, yeah, he's, like, spent his life barefoot. So like, his yeah, feet are so just, yeah, so a, a giant callus is yeah, what it reads like to be. Yeah, a huge leather well, strip <laughs> Too, it like also like alludes to you know he's got that big big dick or whatever uh, because of his yes, past. hands. They said his right. hands. Yes, they said his hands and his feet. Okay, yeah. George. <laughs> <laughs> Maribald is packing apparently. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was the, the ladies. Yeah, he, he used his um, and he doesn't. And they mentioned that he, you know, he can't read and write, but he has a, you know, he memorized the book. You know, the seven. What is it? The well, totally. He's like yeah. that guy that picks Either up a guitar to get laid, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the whole reason he got into this gig. He reads the lines to yeah. memorize the ladies, <laughs> and you know they're they're crossing that. We get a lot of um, you know, talk about with the small folk. We got a lot of these like moments where they're crossing the marshes, and it's pretty lonely out there. And he tells them about you know it's kind of a simple life, and they don't have much for trade, and. He's trading a little bit of food, oranges he has with them for certain clams and other things. Um, you know, they kind of get this, what is it, kind of slice of life kind of thing going on. And we get Brienne thinking about Tarth. And oh, it sounds gorgeous. For me, Tarth sounds like the, the mountains. That's what I would prefer. Mountains and waterfalls and rolling hills. And it sounds gorgeous. But she mentions that there's beauty where they're at. That You know, it's, it's like... They feel, and they say that like it's like separate from the war in a way because it hasn't. There's parts that they're reaching that haven't really been touched, and um, just kind of, I guess, maybe a little reprieve from it all for them. Yeah, it certainly doesn't feel as bleak as everywhere else she's been. Yeah, 
and the, the dog, there's the dog, and he kind of, but, you know, Pod asked about the dog's name, and Maribald said, oh, it's just called Dog, and Pod used to have a dog named Hero, which is so cute, like, oh my gosh, yeah. like, oh. These little moments of Podrick are really wonderful in this I chapter, know. like, when they, what does he say about, the, there's the crone, the maid, and yeah, whatever the other one is. That, yeah that have visited them and Podrick has this like oh like the shocked face <laughs> that these might actually be aspects of the god on earth it's just like a sweet cinnamon roll it's like, it's yeah like, oh. oh pod and that sort of segues into um the talk about the dogs about um Septon tells him about that there's this pack that the people's rumored to number in the hundreds led by a monstrous she-wolf yeah, this is terrifying to me. The thought of like hundreds of wolves because that's not Ooh. at all natural, right? Because aren't they limited in number? Like they're only ever what like thirty or below that? I mean, I've never heard of. I'm thinking about oh, nature I don't know. shows. Yeah, I'm trying to think of nature shows. I've I can't watch well, nature shows because there's too much animal death. <laughs> well, like huge. in Europe, right? Like they they really did have like roves oh. of wolves that would go into the villages and like. Oh like kill people like i just it just gives me the shivers yeah like how could you fight something that's what he said he prayed because how could you fight something like that off like you just can't no matter no you're dead you're dead (laughs) well and it's funny how they know about nymeria clearly but they don't know she's a a dire wolf yeah i thought that because i had to reread that and i was like when i was writing my notes i was like it should say i was gonna write dire wolf and i was like oh they just yeah wolf so they just say you know, she's just a large wolf. It's probably just so inconceivable yeah. that there would be yeah. a dire wolf in the Riverlands. Yeah. It's probably like just whatever remnants they can find of people that are like, oh yeah, wolves did this, but so they haven't actually seen her. I'm like, how much does that suck that like the, the this created this situation where the war, where it's like all these people are being attacked by other people, and then they have to worry about the animals, the, the wolves too. Like, oh, poor people. And then afterwards, you know, this is the point where we get the famous broken man speech. And I'll read a portion of it. Um, One day they look around and realize all their friends and kin are gone. That they are fighting beside strangers beneath a banner that they hardly recognize. They don't know where they are, how to get back home, and the lord they're fighting for does not know their names. Yet here he comes, shouting for them to form up, to make a line with their spears and scythes and sharpened hoes, to stand their ground. And the knights come down on them, faceless men clad all in steel, and the iron thunder of their charge seems to fill the world. And the man breaks. He turns and runs or crawls off afterwards over the corpses of the slain, or steals away in the black of night or he f- and finds some place to hide. All thought of home is gone by then, and kings and lords and gods mean less to him than a haunch of spoiled meat that will let him live another day, or a skin of bad wine that might drown his fears for a few hours. The broken man lives from day to day, from meal to meal, more beast than man. Lady Brienne is not wrong. In times like these, the traveler must beware of broken men and fear them, but he he should pity them as well. And, you know, that's, that's Brienne is like, you know, she kind of segues into they understand that he's been through, you know, war and asks him when he was marched off. And he says when he was no older than Pod and um, Heil asks that the war was a nine penny king's. War of the Nine Penny Kings, and he so they called it. Though I never saw a king nor earned a penny, it was war, though that it was, and that's where we end the chapter there. So that's oh, there's a lot right in there. Yeah, there is a lot. Um, I mean, this is this is pretty widely regarded as probably George's best passage, um, best best little bit of the books right here. 
because it's just sort of hauntingly beautiful the way that he tells the story of these soldiers who, you know, basically um, turn into outlaws and why um, it's uh, it's really good. I, I mean, like, I, I, you know, I get that. I, I Look, we were just talking about it, actually, before we started recording. I get that Brienne probably didn't need as many chapters as she's got in Feast. But the stuff that's in her chapters is so achingly beautiful. And, you know, I know that uh, uh, not enough of what's really pertinent to the main plot goes on in her chapters. And that's a lot of the complaints that people have, too. But, God, you know, taken on their own, like if you just can pull them out and read them alone like we're doing, they're incredible. They're so Mm -hmm. good. And it's super important in a series like this where we do get most of the, I mean, there's not, you know, it's most of the people who are the upper class that, you know, that world. And you need this. You need someone to basically like just, it's like a kind of slap in the face. Like, here, look, this is what you need to consider. And, you know, it's like we think, okay, everybody seems horrible, but there's a reason behind, you know, there's there are the people that are straight up, you know, psychotic like the bloody mummers but then you the majority of the people are people are just caught in the crosshairs yeah yeah well and i mean you know this will be very pertinent to brand's story i mean this is what essentially what she's facing when she gets to the brotherhood without banners it's mostly broken men you know i mean like this this will be important for her story too um yes oh god this is this is why i hate that fucking show so much because it's just like the depth of what George is trying to talk about in his books, as opposed to the just shallow, uh-huh. shallow depth that the show ever covered as far as, you know, like George does care about the small folk. He, he doesn't give a lot of them POVs or anything like that, but he, he wants you to know that they're suffering horrendously. And the show just turned it into kind of like a dynasty game of Thrones where everything just stayed on the upper level with, yep. you know, the ruling classes and um, it really does a disservice to the story not to realize that George is talking very deeply about <laughs> the horrors of war, basically. I mean, you know, it, this is widely acknowledged that the series is very anti-war. And like, whereas as opposed to Game of Thrones, which I'm oh, not sure came, came, came over as anti-war in the end. I don't um, think they got it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. Well, I guess, do we have any? Um, I think we have a few pieces of mail that are addressing some of the... <laughs> Yeah, let's see what we got here. Um, I think I'm going to go on to... Okay. Um, a lot happens in these two chapters that make my heart wrench. Nimble Dick's death, Maribald's speech, and Brienne's ever-growing realization about her trust issues and how that affects her relationships with others and herself. She always had this tenderness and gentleness with her, uh, even during her training with Sir Goodwin. Uh, her killing pig piglets, good lord. And that makes it harder to see her recoil at other people now. Septon Maribald is also possibly one of my favorite characters in the whole book. I agree with everyone else. His speech about broken men is one of the finest in general. And it's so full of compassion and understanding. The fact that he's been doing the same route for decades, teaching people about gods, praying for them, giving them food and his precious oranges. It's like he was able to heal his own wounds by helping other people heal theirs. I also gather from Brienne's memories that she was pretty sheltered during those first years, as everyone seemed to praise her as per her words. She says it's scepter rolls commit 
comments that lifted the scales from her eyes. I've always seen it as a blunt cruelty, but do you think all those horrible comments are meant to help Brienne somehow? As in, was the Septa genuinely trying to prepare her for whatever life was going to be? Um, I mean, I think we talked about that quite a bit the last episode. I think I've heard several people talk about how Brienne has may have done a sacrifice to the gods, and we talked about this as well the last episode, so you guys can go back and listen to the previous episode for our thoughts on these. But I guess we can just... Uh, it was from Weebury from Reddit, I believe. Kind of just recaps what we were talking about with the broken man's speech in general. Um, let's see, we have another one from Anonymous Tumblr. Do you think we will ever get to see Jamie and Brienne training, sparring in the books? What kind of feeling would it have? Like hot sword fucking or something more soft, like Brienne <laughs> recognizing Jamie's vulnerability fighting with his left hand? What do you see as most likely in the books versus what you personally would love to see? I mean, obviously, I think we'd all love to see them yeah. training and fighting sword? and sword fucking. Sword fucking? <laughs> <laughs> never get enough of that um i kind of doubt we will i don't know it depends on how long they survive and um it might happen i guess like if there's a situation where they're in winterfell or something together later on but um yeah i mean it it doesn't seem like it in the riverlands it doesn't seem like the place to try to be uh training him i mean god i'd love it i'd love it in fic when people write it it's always awesome maybe in the veil when they go to that tournament (laughs) maybe (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I guess that could happen too. They have to do a melee or something, or what was that one in Dunk's um, books where they had like a team? Oh yeah, Trial of the Seven. Yeah, maybe they'll have to do a Trial Tri- of the Seven. So Trial she'll have of the to, Seven like, or Trial by Seven. I think it's a Trial of the Seven. Yeah, so it's seven on seven. It's a, it's a trial by combat, but seven on seven. Yeah. So she'll have to like brush Jamie up on his skills. <laughs> Okay, let's see. Another one, Anonymous from Tumblr asks, I have to know if Wonkins is alive. I love that guy, but I can't find him anywhere. <laughs> uh, honestly, oh, we last... haven't heard from him for a while. Yeah, yeah probably like since Wonkins. a year, almost a whole year was the last time I think I talked to Wonkins. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the nature of fandom. People kind of drop in and out of their obsessions. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give him a poke, though. <laughs> i'll let it. you know i'll let you know what's up if he we miss him yeah, yeah we were just yeah, talking about listening. how much fun it would be to do another uh <laughs> rpg rpg yeah, those were cool. <laughs> so much fun it would be nice to have a bunch of those bank too let's be real <laughs> <laughs> true Okay, um, Guilty Please writes, The Broken Man's Smeech might be George's finest moment in A Song of Ice and Fire, and for me it's the center statement of the whole series. Dude bros and fandom keep discussing about this and that war strategy, but this is what war is and what it war does. It breaks people. I wonder if it would have got more recognition if it was placed in some other point of view. I am pretty certain it would have had if it was John's or Davos. Mm. But it was Brienne's to listen. It was her POV, and I don't think that's a coincidence. It's carefully placed there for us. What do you think? The intentional implications that this has. 
Yeah, no, I I do agree. I mean, like this is this is part of observing what's going on in the Riverlands. It's part of you know just observing what George is doing thematically with his books. But it's also pertinent to Brienne's story because, as we know, at the end of this book, she's gonna get up close and personal with some very broken men. I mean, that's kind of what she just has seen. I mean, the Bloody Mummers, in a way. I mean, that's often how um, these groups of uh, mercenaries are formed as broken men. But also, you know, when she ends up with the Brotherhood Without Banners, they're kind of the definition of broken men. And yeah, um, yeah she's she's definitely definitely got this in her chapters for a reason. I feel too like these broken men, when they find each other, that's when they really become more dangerous. Almost like mm-hmm. maybe it's a stretch, but like these wolves that have oh, yeah, yeah. gathered together to wreak havoc. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm, yeah. These these kind of men just egg each other on and it just uh, gets worse and worse and worse. Well, it's just these are people with no with nothing nothing to live for, kind of. I mean, you know, it's just about their personal pleasure in any moment yeah. because they they can't get home. Like like Maribald said, a lot of them probably don't even know how to get home. I mean, this is kind of what George is showing you with what, what Brienne is seeing in this chapter. These people who live, uh, you know, along this bay that are untouched by the war and probably don't have it, have probably never even seen their lord and never will in their whole lives. They'll just live this very quiet, isolated life. And um, these broken men are often people plucked from these villages who don't even know how to get back to them once their lords die and their, you know, friends and family die with, you know, while they're fighting. Yeah, you lose so, everything. There's no compass. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And this is clearly what happened to Maribald. I mean, you kind of wonder, did he not know how to get home? And that's why he's become Just a goes the same route. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good job, um, yeah, it was. It's, um... That's it for the mail. Okay. Um, you can reach us at close the door and at gmail.com on Tumblr at close the door and come here at tumblr.com. You can submit questions um, on the pre-show threads that we have on the Jamie brand subreddit. Uh, follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Please like review and subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Google play, Stitcher, all the places you listen and please support us on Patreon at close the door. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Lot and Chicky, for hanging out. Closing the door, get out. <laughs>